I want to talk this morning about ministering the supernatural. The whole idea is this whole series on healing and moving the supernatural coming down to how do we actually do this. And I want to give you some thoughts, some ideas, some hints, some, some ingredients on that this morning. But first I want to start with a bit of a, my own testimony. Actually, first I want to start with prayer because uh, we actually need Jesus more than we need anything else. Lord, thank you that you're present here. Thank you that you've given us your spirit. Thank you that our desire is not only that you're honored, but that we're transformed by your truth, by your word, that we're not hearers only, but doers. And so we open ourselves to you to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. As I've said in the past, I was raised in a uh, fundamental evangelical church, and it was all I knew from the time I was, my first memory is about being about three years old, I was in church, and it was only much later that I realized the church that I grew up in was cessationist in its belief, meaning that they, they believed that the supernatural moving of the Spirit had ceased with the, uh, the death of the first apostles. Now, I didn't know that it was called cessationist. I didn't even know what that was. We just got on with loving Jesus without any place for the Holy Spirit. And I was oblivious until the charismatic outpouring of the Spirit in the States in the uh, 1970s, and people started getting filled with the Spirit, and they started doing some supernatural stuff and crazy things like speaking in tongues, and the uh, pastor of the church I was part of, under pressure from some of the leaders, got up and preached a sermon about this move of God was not actually of God, it was of the devil. And that all that stuff had ceased, Therefore, anyone who was actually moving in that today, it wasn't God, it was the devil. And I, being, I was about 17 years old at the time, and I got thinking, is the devil more powerful than God? Because the devil has continued, but, Jesus, but the Spirit hasn't. And I went, whoa, I'm not sure about this, but there's something wrong here. And I began to go back to the Bible and say, okay, the Bible talks about this stuff, and we claim to be biblical in our approach, and there's nowhere that I can find in the Bible that it says it ceased. And so kind of in response to that, not even knowing again yet that it was cessationist, I kind of swung the pendulum, and I got involved in the whole faith movement. And the word of faith and all the stuff, I read all the books, I jumped into it, uh, understanding this, not, not actually filled with the Spirit, but understanding that it was a different intellectual approach. I got into that, so I'm just telling you, I've been part of both of these. Now, if I, if I put these on a spectrum, cessationism on one side and word of faith on the other side, the... Word of faith people see a whole lot more people healed. Now that's not because everything they say is right, but the cessationist people never prayed for people to get healed, so they never saw anyone healed. But in that word of faith thing, I began to see 
some of the downsides. I began to see what happened when people didn't get healed. I pray for people, people get healed, and then they didn't, and I was, it just drove me crazy because the belief is that if you do the right things, everyone gets healed. But when they didn't get healed, I began to get questioning myself, and I began to get uh, upset. And what I realized later on is that I was upset because I didn't have a perfect record. See, if you haven't figured out, I'm a perfectionist. I got straight A's in school. If I didn't get 100% on an exam, I was upset. Thank you. And uh, so my real motivation with this was that I don't have 100%. So I kind of said, okay. And then I actually began to see some of the downsides in that some of the excuses that were made. You didn't get healed because you don't have enough faith. Or something else. It's your fault. Uh, and then I began to see that word of faith movement. The same principles of people begin to apply in a desire for prosperity. And it just became greed-oriented. Uh, and not, not all the people in that are that way. Please, I'm not saying everyone. But I'm saying what I saw. And I began to back off and say, okay, God. I've heard this. I've heard this, but what does your word say? And so I've come from cessationist to word of faith to what I call kingdom. Okay, what is the kingdom? And it took me a lot of years. It's probably because I'm slower than most people. Uh, but it took me a long time to say, okay, God, what do you actually say? And so I want to... Just a background, just to be upfront with, as we look at some of the keys to ministry, things to, to do and things not to do as we minister to people. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9 says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, you are God's building. We are God's fellow workers. One translation says co-workers. John chapter 2, verse 5 Uh, this is the uh, wedding at Cana. And uh, she says to the, to the servants, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. That's some tremendous advice. Randy Clark said, the primary responsibility of a disciple is to hear the voice of the Spirit then obey it. The primary responsibility of a disciple is to hear the voice of the Spirit, then obey it. Other, other way of saying is that we're working with God. We're working with the Holy Spirit. We're not working for God. See, the difference between either one of those positions was that we were doing things for God rather than with God. Our belief said God doesn't do this, so we can't do this. This belief said it's like this, so we, so we have to do it this way, rather than partnering with him. In working with God, we're not channeling some impersonal power, like Reiki or some of the Buddhist things. We're not getting in touch with the 
force of the universe, the old star was the force be with you. We're not channeling the force, we're actually working with a living God. Neither are we trying to figure out what would Jesus do? Because that presupposes that he's not here. You ever hear those things about, you know, people talk about somebody, Josh and I are talking about Christy, and Christy says, guys, I'm right here. Yet sometimes our concept, what would Jesus do, says we have to figure it out without ever asking him. He's right here by his spirit. And so we think if we know enough, we can actually be like Jesus. Problem was, is that as I swung the pendulum to this belief, I then went back into a place where in this moving of the spirit, charismatic movement, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And I loved Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And I thought, ha, now I'm supernatural. None of you have ever thought that way. I've tried this without anything. I've tried this with having the right beliefs. And now I got, okay, now I'm supernatural. What I want to tell you this, in this partnership, God's the supernatural part. And we're the natural part. In partnering with God, we never become supernatural. He always is the supernatural part. And so I want to use an expression, being naturally supernatural. It's us partnering. We're the natural part. He's the supernatural part. And so together, we're naturally supernatural. Are you saying, what in the world does that mean? It means this. We don't have to act weird or super spiritual. We don't become supernatural. He is. A friend of mine a number of years ago, his name was Jojo Sanchez, and he was an evangelist. He worked with a group in Southern California called Victory Outreach, and he was doing a, uh, an evangelistic outreach in a poorer area in the L.A. suburbs, uh, Baldwin Park, and he, they used the uh, high school uh, football field and the gym, I mean the uh, bleachers, and they had people come, and he had been preparing for this, and he felt like in praying that God said to him that he would do the supernatural and people would get saved. Now, this guy's an evangelist, and he saw people get saved all the time, and he came to this meeting and calls people forward who need a touch from God. And this, he sees this lady being pushed forward in a wheelchair uh, and realizes as he talks to her that she's blind, but she's being pushed by this very, very hard-looking gang member. And he had worked in that era, so he knew the, the gangs, and so pushing down and he's there and so he comes down with this expectation and he begins to pray for this lady who is in a wheelchair lame I mean she can't walk and she's blind and he begins to pray in the name of Jesus and he starts yelling and yeah I mean nothing's happening and he's getting louder and he's getting more desperate and he's and he's and he's calling out to God and and eventually I mean after Three or four minutes, nothing happens. And he leaves her there and he walks back over to the corner of the stage. And he said, God, 
I thought you said you were going to do the miraculous. I said, as he's back down the corner of the stage, the Spirit speaks to him, and God says, I am, but what are you doing? <laughs> and Jojo Sanchez, back in the corner of the stage, on his knees, begins to weep and apologize to God for thinking he was supernatural and could do God's job. And as he's there, he hears this commotion, this scream. He turns around, the lady's standing up, saying, I can see, I can see. And the gang guy who was her grandson is on his face on the floor weeping, saying, Jesus, save me. Naturally, supernatural. We don't, it's not the volume that's supernatural. It's not how loud we pray or how loud we yell. It's not the language that's supernatural. We put on a different voice. In the name of God! You've heard preachers like that. And we think that the anointing is tied in with how we speak or what language we use. He's the supernatural part. What that means is this. We don't have to oversell. We don't have to oversell. Too often we think that we have to so get people stirred up and, and hyped up and oversell what God's going to do and then it's our volume and it's everything else that's going to make something happen. And we need to settle in our heart. It's not about us. It's not about our ministry. It's about Jesus being glorified. Often if I'm going to pray for people, I'll say something like, I've seen Jesus heal as a response to prayer. Not always. But could I pray for you? See, I don't have to oversell. Every time I lay hands on someone, they're healed. Because that's just not true. We had a guy, I told you before, in Denver... He advertised that he had a 100% success rate in praying for uh, healing, praying for the sick. And I had a friend who came from uh, Australia, had MS, and he came to go to the seminar and, and uh, came back a bit disappointed because what he found out is that this guy's language was that you're healed in the spirit realm Now you just have to wait for that to be manifested. It might not be manifested in your lifetime. How is that healing? That's just kind of weird stuff. But see, we don't have to oversell. So, all that leading up to, and my time's almost up, <laughs> model for ministry, four things. Not a formula. There's no legalism, but there's just some practical, being naturally supernatural. One is, uh, interview. I, I took some of these from uh, Randy Clark's Essential Guide for Healing. I've changed them a little bit, but he uses the term interview, which basically means it's just ask them about the problem. In Mark 9, 21, Jesus asked a guy that he's praying for, how long has this been happening to him? He's just getting a bit of information. Uh, 
unless the Holy Spirit shows you supernaturally what is wrong, but sometimes we have this idea that if we're led by the Spirit, we should already know. And so we, we can't ask. Let me tell you, naturally supernatural. The Holy Spirit can tell you, but if he doesn't, ask. You're ministering to a person. So if you don't know him, the first thing you ask is, what's your name? Who are you praying for? See, it's not about my ministry. It's about God touching people. How can I pray for you? What is it you would like to, you would like to see Jesus do? Find out what they see as the problem. How long has this been going on? Do you know what caused this? All those are simply, one, realizing that we're natural, but it's also in the process, not only listening to them, but listening to the Holy Spirit. You're trying to determine, is this a fruit or is this the root? They see the problem, but is that the root or is that the fruit? The Holy Spirit says, hey, this could be something else. This could actually be something that has a different foundation, a different root. And so you need to try and determine what that is. And then determine how to pray. What does that mean? There's different types of prayers. There's petition prayers. Petition prayers are directed to God. Lord, would you pour your spirit out upon us now? Would you pour your grace? Lord, would you help me? Holy Spirit, would you give me understanding of what's happening? It's directed to God. But there's also commanding prayers. Commanding prayers are directed at the problem, not at God. Let me tell you this. You don't command God what to do. It's not that kind of partnership. But sometimes we speak on his behalf and we speak commands to sickness, especially if you're dealing with deliverance. Now, if the root is that people are demonized, you don't want to just pray for a nice touch of God. You want to actually, using the authority in Jesus' name, get rid of that thing. And that's a commanding prayer. Let me just add this on the side. If you do that, let them know that while God has set them free, unless they submit to Jesus, they won't stay free. Unless they've closed the door. But you don't have to go into all that beforehand. Just get rid of the demon and then don't let God do what he wants to do. So the bottom line is that there's a time to wait on God and a time as a fellow worker to speak on his behalf. Acts chapter 9. From verse 36, at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. I have no idea why they put that in there. It just simply means gazelle. Her name means gazelle, and Dorcas means gazelle. The woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. You get that? She's dead now. When they washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there. They sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Now, if you ever, ever looked this up, it's about 12 kilometers. 
So she died, and they sent Josh to go get Peter. It's 12 kilometers away. One way. Even if he's walking fast, that's two hours. So he gets there two hours, gets Peter, and Peter comes back. So we're talking at least four hours later. Right? I'm not exaggerating. I just, sometimes we just read, you know, uh, that it was close, so they just went and got Peter. It's like he was in the next room. You know, and so, you know, come right now. Uh, it wasn't like that. Peter rose and went with them, and when they had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him, weeping, showing the tunics and garments that uh, Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. What did he do? He knelt down and prayed. I think he said, Lord, what do you want to do here? He's not praying for her. He's praying. Lord, these guys came and got me. It's been four hours. She's dead, dead. She's not just maybe dead. She's not Princess Bride a little dead. She's dead, dead. And so he prays and says, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then he turns to her and gives a command. You with me? I love that. So we've asked them, we've done a bit of an interview, find out what's going on. We've determined how to pray. The third ingredient is really important. Can you guess what it will be? Pray. I'm really profound today. I just want you to know that. Randy Clark uses the term pray for effect. See, it's not comforting. We're not praying comfort for the person. We're not preaching and giving them advice. We're actually saying, okay, God, you've said what you wanted to do because I've asked you. You show me what the problem is. Now let's do it. I've determined how to pray, led by the Spirit. Now I'm going to actually pray. How often do we just kind of mess around? Can I say this? As you pray, be aware. What's the Spirit doing? I think it's always good when you pray for someone to ask them to let you know if they're feeling anything. But also it's good to pray with your eyes open so you can see what the Spirit's doing. So sometimes there's a beginning of change. Well, you need to know that. They need to know that. So ask. So, so, and then under that, be thankful for everything God does. In the midst of praying, if there's some change, thank God for it. And then stop and re-interview. Matthew, I'm uh, sorry, Mark 8, 22-25 is a story of uh, they brought a blind man to him and he begged him to touch him, as it says, and uh, he took him by the hand, led him out of the town, spit on his eyes, put his hands on him, and asked him if he saw anything. So he did something, obviously led by the Spirit, because Jesus said he only ever did what he heard the Father say and saw the Father doing. And then he asked him, do you see anything? And he says, 
<laughs> I can't see. <laughs> I've got to spit it. And he says, I see men like trees walking. So what does he do? He says, oh, okay, that's good enough. No, he put his hands on his eyes again and prayed. Made him look up. So there is, stop and re-interview. If there's a partial healing, keep praying. If the pain moves, if you're praying for someone's shoulder and all of a sudden the pain's in their knee or in their foot, it's usually an indication that there is a spirit of infirmity. Or if you pray for something and it gets worse, don't say, oh, no. I'm going to kill them if I keep praying. (laughs) Realize, hey, we're probably dealing with a spirit here. And so you need to not just pray for healing. You need to, that's the fruit. The root is that there's some sort of demonic activity that you need to deal with. You still with me? You just pray until you, they're healed or until the Holy Spirit tells you to stop. Very simple. Now, a couple of quick thoughts before we finish. Don't misrepresent Jesus by making excuses or doing spiritual gymnastics like I said before. Bottom line is if you haven't oversold, then you don't have to make excuses. You're healed in the spiritual realm. Wait for it to manifest. Jesus never said that. He never said, okay guys, you're healed in the realm of the spirit. Why do we do that? Because we're making excuses. We want our, our name, our ministry to look good rather than Jesus to look good. Having said that, sometimes people are healed the next day. I don't know. I don't know why. Randy Clark says about 15% of people. We had a gal in our church in Melbourne. Most of you have heard the story. She was at the uh, accountant. I was sitting there waiting for the accountant and realized that the receptionist had uh, this uh, eczema on her hands and her neck. And while she's sitting there waiting for the accountant with all her accountant books, the Holy Spirit says, I want you to pray for her. She said, oh God, I'm waiting for the accountant. My mind's not there. I don't have faith for this right now. And the Holy Spirit, just as he does, doesn't change. Amazing. I want you to pray for her. And she finally puts all her stuff aside and says, I notice you have this. Can I pray for you? Who knows what the lady was thinking? Maybe the next time you go to church, you're going to light a candle or something. She says, yes. And so Raquel grabs her hands right then and there and prays in the name of Jesus that she'd be healed. And you know what? Nothing happened. Raquel goes over, sits down, said, God, see, I told you. I told you I didn't have faith for this. I knew nothing was going to happen. And the Holy Spirit said, well done, good and faithful servant. The next morning, the lady was totally healed. Eczema that she'd had for 30 years was totally gone. She waited another day to see if it came back before she called Raquel and said she was healed. Why does the Holy Spirit wait overnight? I have no clue. But he did. If that's happening, don't try and make excuses. Don't misrepresent Jesus and say, if you only had enough faith. Or you've got sin in your life or something. So, how do we apply this 
Very quick, stand with me if you would. I'm going to ask anyone need a touch from God for healing this morning. If you do, just raise your hand. I'm not going to call you up front. Just raise your hand and keep it up. Up high. And I'm going to say this. I'm going to ask two or three people, just gather around them, and we're just going to begin to put this into practice. If you don't know them, ask them their name. And we're going to begin to pray. Okay? Naturally supernatural. Don't get weird. But understand as you're led by the Spirit, God can do anything. So just if you need prayer, keep your hand up. Keep it up. Yeah, it was my shoulder I need prayer for. I can't keep my hand up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, just everyone, just grab one of these people. Get around them, and let's, uh, let's just ask them. Begin to, to do those very things.